Bibles to Isaiah chapter 43 this morning. Isaiah chapter 43. We'll start in verse 14. So Isaiah 43, starting in verse 14, says, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans, who cry, whose cry is in the ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tau. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field shall honor dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn to your word this morning, uh, we just pray, Lord, that you would guide our thoughts, uh, help us to Draw closer to you through this time, oh Lord, I pray that you would guide me in the things that I say, help me to be an encouragement this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I don't really title many messages, but I titled this New Beginnings, and of course that's due to the new year coming. The story happened back in 1994, two Americans answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education to teach morals and ethics based on biblical principles in the public schools. They were invited to teach at prisons, businesses, the fire and police departments, and a large orphanage. About 100 boys and girls who had been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of a government-run program were in the orphanage. They relate the following story in their own words. It was nearing the holiday season, 1994. Time for our orphans to hear, for the first time, the traditional story of Christmas. We told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem, finding no room in the inn. The couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat at the edges of their stools, trying to grasp every word. Completing the story, we gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger. Each child was given a small paper square cut from yellow napkins I had brought with me. No colored paper was available in the city. Following instructions, the children tore the paper and carefully laid strips in the manger for straw. 
small squares of flannel, cut from a worn-out nightgown an American lady was throwing away as she left in Russia, left Russia, were used for the baby's blanket. A doll-like baby was cut from tan felt and we, that we had brought from the United States. The orphans were busy assembling their manger as I walked among them to see if they needed any help. All went well until I got to one table where little Misha sat. He looked to be about six years old and had finished his project. As I looked at the little boy's manger, I was startled to see not one, but two babies in the manger. Quickly, I called for the translator to ask the lad why there were two babies in the manger. Crossing his arms in front of him and looking at his completed manger scene, the child began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young boy, who had only heard the Christmas story once, he related the happenings accurately. Until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. Then Misha started to ad lib. He made up his own ending to the story. As he said, And when Mary laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. I told him I have no mama and I have no papa. So I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everybody else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much. So I thought maybe if I kept him warm that that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody ever gave me. So I got into the manger, and then Jesus looked at me and told me I could stay with him for always. As little Misha finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down his little cheeks, putting his hand over his face. His head dropped to the table and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. The little orphan had found someone who would never abandon nor abuse him, someone who would stay with him for always. I realize that that story isn't accurate in the way that gospel should be presented, but it's a good story of a child that needed Christ hearing that story and, and understanding it in his own way, which is amazing. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19 say, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. We look at this story and we see God uses problems and hardships in our lives to put us where he wants us to be so that he can then reveal himself to us and fulfill his purpose in our lives. This young boy, he suffered abuse, abandonment, and poverty. And yet without those circumstances that brought him to live in that orphanage, he might have never heard the story of Jesus and been able to put himself next to Jesus in that manger, receiving the love of Christ in his life, committing himself into the Lord's care.
Christmas morning, um, our family read together the account of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. And as I was reading it and considering the current state of the world and entering into this new set of restrictions on gatherings and all the regulations that we have right now, and seeing Mary and Joseph having to leave their home in Nazareth to travel to Bethlehem, as she was about due to have her baby, was a little bit more relatable this year. It struck me that it was the Roman government oppressing Israel, a tyrannical government that was imposing control over the people, forcing them to get registered for the purpose of taxing them. Taxes to pay for the army and the government officials that were there to control the people. It was this oppression from the Roman rulers that forced Joseph to take Mary on this journey. And I looked it up and it's about 150 kilometers from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, the Bible talks about distances and traveling and sometimes describes traveling from one place to another as a certain number of days journey. And it's often considered to be roughly 30 to 40 kilometers is a day's journey. And I would think at eight to nine months pregnant, Mary wasn't likely up to traveling that full distance every day. But even at the 30 kilometers a day, that's a five-day hike to travel. Those of that have had babies, I'm sure you'd have wanted to do a five-day hike, camping trip, leading up to the day that you were about to deliver your baby. Not a fun time. This was not a pleasant experience for them at all. I can just imagine the grumbling and complaining, all the rebellious attitudes that must have been common among the Jews in that day. Yet that is the exact oppression from the ruling government that God used to put Mary exactly where he wanted her to have that baby. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, Micah prophesies of Jesus' birthplace. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. And you see that prophecy, there's no doubt that it's speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus, whose going forth has been from old, from everlasting. And it says out of Bethlehem. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. How else was he going to get there? How else was Mary going to be in that place at that time when they're living in Nazareth? But by a government that was oppressing them and forcing them to get registered for taxing. This was God's doing. When God says that he will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, we need to trust him. We know that God's working even in our world today. We have fear of a pandemic. There's government restrictions and regulations on our lives, 
our businesses, our churches. There's questions regarding wasteful government spending. There's controversy over the results of elections. There's rumors and threats of wars. There's theories and evidence of conspiracies of various kinds. The list goes on and on. Yet, in all of it, God is placing each and every one of us exactly where he wants us for his purpose. Even as we look at the Bible prophecy, we can see that things are happening in the world today must happen in order to fulfill what God has said is going to happen. These events are literally preparing the world for the second coming of Christ. So as we look around us, instead of focusing on our problems, the things that cause fear and doubt, maybe we should be looking for how God is making a path through this wilderness and rivers in this desert for us. The Bible is absolutely full of examples of God doing the impossible in people's lives. He's turning hopeless situations into victorious celebrations. So as we face this new year, most of us see an opportunity for a new start, a new beginning. Most of us tend to make some form of a renewed effort to improve ourselves in some way. Whether it's making resolutions to eat better, to exercise more, maybe to be less critical of others, or to be more productive, to read more good books, and maybe to spend more time with God, reading His Word, spending time in prayer, listening to godly music, listening to godly preaching and teaching. These are all good things to strive to do. And what does the Bible have to say about it? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When we give our life to Christ, we're to become a new creature. We're supposed to have a new beginning. And as a Christian, God's working in each one of us to change us, to change us into what he wants us to be. He wants everything in our life to be renewed, to be changed, and to be reconciled to him. I don't think anybody here is driving a Ford this morning, but I think God wants us to be like a Ford which means that we are to be fixed and repaired daily. And I see that's why nobody drives a Ford here, but that is what God wants in our lives, is to be fixed and repaired daily. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says, For which cause we faint not, but through our outward man, that though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Our inward man is renewed day by day. That's what God is striving for in our lives. The verse that follows that is very revealing as well. It, 
It's an ex explanation of how God accomplishes this daily renewing in us, which should in turn change the way we see the world around us. Verse 17 and 18 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We need to look beyond the physical world and realize that God is using our circumstances to shape us into who he wants us to be. But it is up to us how we're going to respond to those circumstances. We can be angry and bitter. We can wallow in self-pity. Or we can look to God and respond in faith, trusting him to work through our circumstances for our good. It's God's Spirit working in us through our circumstances that produces the fruit of the Spirit. And I've mentioned the fruit of the Spirit in the last few weeks. There's things, love, joy, and peace, that we've talked about. But that list goes on with long-suffering, patience, meekness, gentleness. These are not produced in a vacuum, a life void of problems and trials. Those characteristics are a direct result of our trials. 2 Corinthians 4.17 calls those things that happen in our life for our light affliction. A light affliction. Hebrews 12.11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Our spiritual life requires exercise in order to produce spiritual fruit. And that comes through our trials and troubles that we face in life. If we consider the New Year's resolutions that we often make to, to lose weight or to get into better shape of some sort, whatever that fitness goal might look like, you're going to have to exercise. And in order for exercise to accomplish anything in our body, we have to push our body to do things that it's not comfortable doing. In order to increase endurance or to gain strength, we have to lift more or do more than what we're comfortable doing. We need to push our bodies to its limits. And after doing this, we're going to be sore. It's going to hurt because you've caused stress and strain and damage to the muscles that you've used. And that, in turn, triggers our body to send out the nutrients and the things that it needs to repair that muscle. When we rest, our body repairs itself. And in the process of repairing itself, it actually adds extra strength to those muscles to help prevent damage in the future. And once those repairs are made, if we do that exercise again, and again, push our limits, push our body to the limit of its endurance, 
we repeat that tearing of those muscles, we repeat that repairing and strengthening process. And if we're consistent with that, we will, over time, see an increase in our strength and our endurance for doing that particular exercise. Is that process pleasant? No, not really. We don't usually enjoy being sore the next day after doing exercise. But it is the only way that we're going to achieve the results that we're looking for. And it's the same spiritually as it is physically. We need to be pushed to our limits in order to grow. That's what Hebrews 12.11 is saying, that the pain we experience is actually for our benefit. That it says, Now no chastening of the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It results in growth and strengthening. There's another factor that's also important in this process. When doing physical exercise, our body has specific nutritional needs in order to properly rebuild. If we don't take care of our diet and our rest, exercises can end up leading to long-term injury rather than strengthening our bodies. It's the same spiritually. If we don't take care of our spiritual nutrition and our spiritual rest, we're not going to grow spiritually. We'll be injured spiritually by those things that are happening to us. That means we need to spend time feeding our spirit, which is God's word, godly music, biblical preaching and teaching. And we need to rest. And we can find that rest as we spend time meditating on God's word, on those godly hymns that we sing, and in spending time in conversation with God in prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We just need to come to Christ in prayer. We need to cast our cares on him, and he will give us spiritual rest. And that doesn't mean that he's going to take us out of whatever situation we're in, but he's going to provide rest in the midst of that storm. Just like Jesus was able to sleep on a pillow in the bottom of the ship when everybody else was fearful of the storm that threatened to sink the boat. We can get discouraged at times, but we don't need to be. There's nothing that God can't handle and get us through. I'm going to read to close Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. It says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord 
shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God's strength, God's power, God's wisdom and his knowledge is limitless. There's nothing going on in your and my life that he isn't in complete control of. And he is putting us exactly where he wants us. He's putting us in the place, the time, and with the people that we are supposed to be with for his purpose. And let's keep that in mind. As we face this coming year and all the challenges that it's going to present to us, that God has a purpose in everything that's going on in our lives. We need to trust him with those things and look for what he wants us to do in that. Let's pray. Lord, again, it takes strength to endure these things. Lord, it takes exercise to gain strength. And so we see, Lord, in your word that you put trials in our path as exercise for our spiritual lives, Lord, to help us to grow stronger in those character traits that we need strength and endurance in. And so help us, Lord, to trust you in these things, to respond the way that you would have us respond, to let you work in our lives, let you help us to grow more like you. Help us to show those fruits of the Spirit in our lives, Lord. Let's commit this time in your hands, Lord, and we thank you for it. In Christ's name. Get Royden and Emily to come back and we'll sing one more hymn. This might take a moment for them to get here.